things that I face Stronger than the power of the grave Constant in the trial and the change This one thing remains Come on, sing it fails and never gives up and never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up and never runs out on me your love
Ephesians 1, 3, it, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So kind of what I, what I think about when I read that verse, um, I just had a baby a, a month ago and I think about how in this it says the Lord loves us even before we were thoughts to our parents. Before, before our parents thought about having children, God loved us. He chose us. So you get to sing to the God that transcends time and space, the God of all authority, the God of creation, and we get to sing to him and lift our voice and, and call him great and sing to him. So would you continue to lift your voice with me and sing?
let's, uh, let's, let's pray together this morning. God, thank you so much that we can praise your name, God, the name that is above every name, the name that when it's said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, the name that brings power and life and hope to everyone. God, thank you for your name. Thank you for your name, Jesus. And we pray in the power and beauty and majesty of that name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, welcome this morning. Turn around, high five five people. Tell them, what's up? If you want to do a handshake or a hug, that's cool too. Um, well, it's so good to be here this morning with you guys. My name is Eric. I get to be the pastor of student ministries here at Crossroads. Uh, I love what I do. I love this church. Um, and uh, I'm excited to be here worshiping with you guys this morning. If this is your first time uh, visiting with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope that you feel uh, loved and appreciated because you are. If you're joining us online, welcome. Uh, we're excited to be worshiping with our online family as well. Um, so before we get started, there's a couple of things that I want to make sure that you guys are aware of. Um, so our, our middle schoolers, um, we had a full weekend this weekend, our winter jam weekend. Um, I think combined, they got maybe 45 minutes of sleep, but that's okay. Um, we started off on Friday night going to the winter jam concert. It was so good. Um, then we, we went, we played games. We went to the mall, did a scavenger hunt, went tubing. I think everyone walked away. Um, it was an amazing time. And the whole weekend we were talking about the fact that we were made to worship that our lives are, are designed by God to be full of worship. And as we focus on the truth of who God is, everything that we might be going through gets really small in the bigness of how good our God is. So it was a great week. And if you see a middle schooler, ask them how they liked it. I'm sure that they'll, uh, they'll tell you it was great. Now, um, for our high schoolers, I want to let you know about a couple of exciting things. So even today, um, if you are in high school or you know someone who is, today uh, we're meeting at the church at 2 o'clock. Our guys, we're going to go play some top golf. Um, and it's great because you don't have to have that good of aim. You just got to swing, which is going to be great. Um, and our ladies, you guys are going to Sky Zone, to Sky, I guess. So it's you know going to be going to be a ton of fun. We're meeting here uh, at 2 o'clock. So Bring, uh, bring a friend. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. So um, the last two things I want to mention, I want to go ahead and invite the ushers down as we talk about two things. Um, coming up one week from today, so next Sunday, um, right after church, we're going to have an interest meeting about our June Jamboree. Uh, one, one, one of the greatest things that, that we do is going to be a lot of fun. So if you want to learn more about it, be here next Sunday, right after church for that interest meeting. Also next Sunday, um, have you guys ever heard of Sweet Sunday? Yes, yeah, I, I've, I've just heard about it. I, it sounds like it's going to be amazing. Um, it benefits the Washington City Mission. Basically, if you have a sweet tooth, um, go to this thing. If you want a sweet tooth, go to this thing. Um, but it's going to be a ton of fun, and it benefits the Washington City Mission. So um, I, uh, I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. I hope that you all go out and do it. Um, and uh, just so you know, Roger and Deb Metcalf, they're going to be selling cookies from 2.30 to 5. So 
Go buy one. Uh, I guarantee it's going to be delicious uh, and you will not regret it at all. Um, so as we get ready to receive our offering, I wanted to share something with you. You know, uh, when we talk about worship, when we give, that, that is an act of worship as well. It's an act of, of just saying thank you to who God is for everything that he's blessed you with because he truly has blessed us uh, with so much. And if nothing else, he's blessed us with, having, with the ability to have a relationship with him. And I was telling you about the retreat that our middle schoolers have went on this weekend. The main verse that we, that we focused on was this. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. That verse leaves absolutely no one out. All of us can, can rest assured that he loves us. He has compassion for us. He is good to us. And so as we get ready to give a portion of what he has given us back to him, let's give saying thank you to God for who he is. And let's believe that he's going to do something amazing today in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we, we praise you that, that we have the truth of your word that just echoes your goodness that you love us. And we pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to give, to give with gratitude, to have irrational generosity because of your irrational love for us. We pray, God, that you would use this to expand your kingdom, to grow our faith. We pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear a word from you as Pastor Luke comes and as we continue in our Nehemiah series. Lord, thank you that, that through your strength, Nothing is impossible. Lord, if there's something that we need to rebuild, please reveal that to us tonight or this morning. We praise you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I, that music, I, again, I'm not going to shout it out like I did first hour. I think I scared half the people, but it's just, you know, you get to the top, you're just like, Rocky, Kinemon, you know, and every week I see Ken, and he's like, kind of doing one of these little deals, and just like every week I say, how do you not, like, dance when you get to the top? And he goes, I do, it's inside. I said, Ken, you keep doing that, man. But uh, I want to ask you a question as we start this morning. My name's uh, Luke, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads, and, and so I want to ask you a question. Have you ever believed a lie? And I'm not talking like, you know... Um, hey, there's that thing outside. Oh, you believed it. Not like a gullible thing. I'm talking about like you believed a lie that was an attack against yourself, like a personal attack. Like you're not worth anything. You don't have purpose. What you're doing right now is not, um, is, is not, uh, is not, is, has no worth. 
Have you ever believed that lie? And so for the last five weeks, we've been in this series in Nehemiah, and what we've been talking about is, has been really touching a lot of lives, because it's been something where we've been getting to know the people and the characters, and getting to know Nehemiah, and, and seeing that the same God that was with Nehemiah is the same God that's with us today. And so these are, uh, we read over so many of attacks of Sanballat and his friends against the people who are working on the wall. And their goal was to get the people to stop working on the wall. And now what we're going to see is we're going to see the goals of, of Sambalat's shift to be on Nehemiah. So they're thinking, if we can't go after the people, let's go after the leader. Let's take out their source of inspiration, their source of leadership. Let's take out the leader. And so they, they, if, they, if they could do that, if they could take out Nehemiah, what they could do is that they can mobilize from within their allies to take over the city of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah is about to be in one of the toughest battles he's ever faced, a battle of the mind. And many of us can relate to that. We battle through that every day, a battle of the mind. We hear the lies that the enemy speaks at us, the enemies, that the, 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 the lies of the world that come at us, and, and we have to, to battle against that every day. And so if the enemy is successful with Nehemiah, what's going to happen is he's going to be paralyzed with doubt and fear, as many of us have, have experienced that. Like I said, I believe this is a battle we fight every single day. There is a war waging right now that is not a flesh and blood, that's a spiritual battle. And what we're going to see right here is as is, is clear as day. It may come in the form of a, of a human situation, but it has the enemy's fingerprints all over it. And so the enemy uses these sly tactics to, to not jab, but to get slowly little hooks in so that he can work his way in. And so that doubt and fear can settle in. And so let's get a little personal this morning. So maybe some of the lies that you've believed over the years, or maybe are believing now. So something goes like this. God wishes I would be a little more kind to my spouse than he will love me. No one at church actually cares about me. No one at church actually knows me, knows my stuff. Everything I do behind the scenes is pointless, whether it's at home, in your job, or whether it's here. Everything I do behind the scenes has no meaning or purpose. Does God actually adopt me? We believe the lie that God does not adopt us because we have stuff. I've got stuff. And we believe the lie that because of our stuff, God doesn't adopt us into his family. Or, this one I hear all the time, if I just attend one more weekend gathering a month, then I'll feel God's love. If I come to one more church service, then I'll feel God's love. Or, some of us that serve, this one is an easy lie to believe. Uh, you know that person, the other person you serve with? Yeah, they, they are just that much better than you at life. They can, they're on time every week. And they look good and smell good. There's like all this stuff that we keep adding up and they're just like, they're, you're be- they're better than you and you, you're not. It's, it's lame stuff that we believe these lies. And, and then go on and on. I'm sure some of you are thinking about other things that you can recall that the enemy has come after you with. Feeling like you don't belong, feeling like you have no worth, like you have no purpose. But there's a confidence that we can have. This confidence is in what? The promises of God. Knowing that we've been adopted into his family, that we have worth and purpose, all because of what? Jesus Christ. And you know what? Even knowing that truth, the enemy does not stop. But people we serve and are under the power and have the power of a relentless God. Amen? Because God is always on the move. The attacks may come, but, the, but God doesn't just weather them. He looks the enemy straight in the face and says, you've lost because of what was done on the cross. You're done. 
That's the God that we serve, and that's the God that was with Nehemiah, and that's the God that's with us today. And so what I want to do is I want to jump into Nehemiah 6. So if you have it with you, it's also on the screen, or you have it on your, your phones, or whatever works for you. But what we're going to read about are attacks. And so I'm going to coin these points as incoming missiles. And so the first incoming missile that we read about is Sanballat and his friends try to instill confusion to Nehemiah. So they try to create confusion. So, so let's jump into Nehemiah 6, verse 1. So Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though uh, we had not set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. You would think that when you're invited to a place called Ono, that there would be a hair of concern that should follow. But what he says after that is, so he's, he's at a point of, I, I should step back and relax. Look at all that's been done. We only have one more thing left. I can remember this shed in the back of my house, and every time I look at it, I have to refrain from choice words because, it, you know, it's one of those, like, it comes in this box and you open up the box and it's just like, well, there goes the rest of my weekend. And the screws are tiny and they're, but like, super, they're metric and they're super specific to that thing and there's 50,000 pages and, you know, I have little helpers that love to help with the little screws in the power drills and I look over and they're drilling into the dirt and Anyway, I, I just look over and I just see this huge thing in front of me. And I remember when it got to a point where the walls were up and the door was the last thing. And I'm like, let's take a break. And sure enough, there comes the wind. <whistles> You've all been there, people. But I look at that shed and I said, I won you. I defeated you. You're up. You're still standing for now. But so he's at this point where he can relax. And so he's getting this invitation. So I'm sure it's enticing. And Ono is this wonderful resort-like area. But what, is he, what, what, is, what he says is he's, there's like, they're, they're plotting to harm me. And in verse 3, put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in his shoes. He's done this incredible thing because God has allowed him to work on this wall. Now he gets to this point where he can be invited to relax. And I'm not talking like, hey, let's go sit at Eaton Park. It's like, hey, let's go enjoy this beautiful resort. And you know what? Let's work together. Kind of like, a, hey, we're sorry. Like, we... You know, we kind of like tried to kill a lot of your people and we tried to destroy the work of God and destroy this wall. But like, let, hey, let's, let's like just put that over there. Like, let's make amends. And so from the outward sign, this invitation is enticing. But he responds in, in such a powerful way in verse three. He says, so I replied by sending this message. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the message, and each time I gave them the same reply. You know, on the outward sign, these invitations seemed wonderful. Like, let's make amends. Let's work together. Let's come to an agreement. But there was a different motive underneath. And Nehemiah revealed that in verse 2. He said, they're plotting to harm me. How could he see through that, through all of the confusion of those invitations, because he was seeking the Lord, because he had God with him, and he sensed that there was a plot to harm. Plus, he's probably like, um, do you know what you've tried to do to all the people? Like, I've seen what you've tried to do. How is this any different? 
And so his discernment kicked in, and because of his relationship with God, he was able to weed through that. But I think what, what verse 3 says is priceless. I am engaged in a great work. This great work is God's work. And, and, and he says it over and over. Every time that he gets the response, hey, come on, come on. You can, you can come. And I'm sure that every response probably got a little more deep or a little more intense. Like, come on, man. Like, do you not know the place that I'm inviting you? I mean, imagine if this was like a political thing. It was thinking like, oh, man, like Nehemiah, like he's turning down these incredible offers to work together. I mean, it could, it, I'm sure they, got, they, they get political later on, and we'll see. But he says, I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Eugene Peterson says this. It's a life of long obedience in one direction. Guys, when, when God calls us to do a great work, whatever that is, small, medium, large, extra medium, whatever size it is that God calls you to, that is a great work. And we should respond to other things in life by saying, I am engaged in a great work. I can't come. I'm doing this right now. Long obedience in one direction. We don't hear often like we hear about missionaries in Haiti that have been there for 30 years, working with 20 kids in an orphanage. Or, you know, we don't hear about, hey, I've been here for 25 years or 30 years. You know, we hear a lot of hopping, which is, which is fine. But my encouragement is long obedience in one direction. There's a, there's a power and there's a holy redundancy of I spent every single minute I could with my neighbor loving them, eating with them, talking about Jesus. There's power in that. And so my encouragement is, just like Nehemiah responded every time, I'm engaged in a great work. Don't be ashamed to say, I'm engaged in a great work when you're saying I'm working with kids. I'm working with students. I meet once a week to, with, with a bunch of people to do a Bible study. Never, never be ashamed to talk about the great work you're involved with. And be okay with saying no. It's hard, but say no. And like I said, Ono wasn't, this pla- wasn't just a place. It was a beautiful vacation resort. Sam Bout and his friends, they knew what they were talking about. And this was a big deal to be invited. But Nehemiah knew that he was doing a great work. And so as this missile comes into Nehemiah, he weathers it. He overcomes it because he, he's not disoriented. He's not confused. He is staying straight to what he's been called. I have been called. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. So here comes missile two. So first missile is he creates confusion. The second missile is now, okay, if I can't trick him, let's discredit him. Let's create scandal. Let's create gossip. So here comes Nehemiah 6, 5 through 7. It says, then the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aide with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. An unsealed letter is like, it's a political thing. It's like, let's create gossip and stir this up. It's like those magazines you see at the grocery store that literally are like, you know, I can't even think of it, something, because they're so bizarre. It's like so-and-so married an alien. You're like, what? I mean, and, and let's just be honest. Some of us have been like, I mean, come on. Like, you're reading and you're like, in your mind, you're telling yourself, like, this can't be real. But what if you really did marry an alien? Like, you know what I mean? And like, come on, let's just, let's just fess it up. Let's get on the table. And so this gossip isn't the same thing, but it's, it's getting pretty out there but they still stir this up to create scandal. So look in, look in verse 6. It says, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Imagine being Nehemiah reading this, being like, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed the prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. 
there is a king in Judah. Now the support will get back to the king, so come let us meet together. He's like, hey, um, you're building this wall so that you can exalt yourself, sit on that throne, and be like, I'm king. Come on, like, we know that's not true, so come meet with us. Like, they're really coming after him to discredit him. And so the letter started a rumor that really had a potential to destroy. Imagine if you're reading that. I mean, you're sitting there and, like, again, you're like, man, Nehemiah just wants to rebuild the wall to, like, become king. Like, what a jerk. Man, like, he thinks a lot of himself. Imagine being somebody working on the wall. You've been led so faithfully by Nehemiah. Now you're reading this, and, you know, you're like, I mean, imagine if it was now, you know, modern time. You're sitting there and you're getting your notification. You're like, you got to be kidding me. Did you hear this? Did you see this? Share. I mean, how many times it's like, oh, you know, it's like perfect cookies made in 10 minutes, share. So-and-so married an alien, share. Like, we, we, we're quick to share those things. So imagine this gossip that comes rolling through. We don't even know if it's true. We're telling people. You know, the more interesting the gossip, the more likely it is to be untrue. And yet faster it spreads. All of us, when we hear the pss, have, we hear the pss, have you heard our ears get bigger, our eyes get bigger, and we turn to hear the garbage that we're about to hear, the gossip. And so I found this definition of gossip, and I'm sure some of you have your own that are very good, but I like this one. It said, gossip is news. You have to hurry and tell somebody else before you find out it isn't true. Gossip is news. You have to hurry and tell somebody else before you find out it isn't true. And Nehemiah says so incredibly in verse 8, he says, I sent him this reply. Again, Nehemiah could easily take this guy out back. Here's 10 reasons why you're wrong. You're also a jerk. And I'm going to share that. He says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Like I said, he could have berated him, but he didn't. And even after the missile from the enemy here exploded and there's scandal and there's gossip flying everywhere, he still sees the true intention. In in, uh, chapter 6, verse 9, he says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Again, when we are attacked, when we're at a point of weakness, what do we do? Turn to human hands for quick human results instead of turning to the supernatural and turning to the Lord God Almighty and saying, would you strengthen me? And taking a step back like Nehemiah does here, and he says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. You know, we find out later that the gossip really spreads, and there's even people in the tribe of Judah that hear this gossip, and they're like, you know what? I've always thought he was a jerk, but now I think he's a, he's a greater jerk, and I can't follow him. He's a poor leader. He's off his kilter. He's off, he's off, all, over, he's off all over the place. But in order, for, in order to move forward, Nehemiah knows he cannot gain strength from any other. So he seeks out the Lord. And, and people, I just want to say that I think the tongue in, in this situation is powerful. Our tongue is incredibly powerful tool. It can be used to lift up and it can be used to completely destroy. And so whether you, wherever you work, whether it's anywhere, public, private sector, whatever it looks like, you're serving, you're at home with your family, like wherever you have an opportunity to influence people, I highly encourage you to take something so simple into consideration. Before you say something, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? Is it kind? 
think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? Is it kind? When we do our next steps meetings and we talk to people about membership, that's one of the things that Pastor Ken always goes over is how we are so against gossip here at Crossroads. Gossip destroys lives. It does not help. And so when we think about hearing something and running to tell somebody before we find out it isn't true, let's think, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And if we can put it through that filter and it doesn't come out of that filter, we shouldn't say it. It's something so simple, but we're all guilty of it. So the first missile to create confusion, the second one to create scandal, and so the enemy's like, all right, let's meet in the middle. Can't beat them. Let's try to join them a little bit. So the enemies of Nehemiah and the work of God said, let's confuse him, let's discredit him, but God strengthened the hands and hearts of Nehemiah to keep building the wall. Look in verse 10. It says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. Why did he go there? Why did Nehemiah go into this guy's house? I remember reading this and thinking, you know, some of us can read it and we're like, okay, he went in this dude's house and this guy's like, oh, they're going to kill you. Like, let's hide. Why did he go to this person's house? Because he was seeking counsel. He had a high regard for this person in his life. And he's like, you know what? I'm at a weak point. Let me seek out somebody godly. And so he goes into the house of Shemaiah and he's seeking counsel to consult. But then once they get there, he realizes that something is wrong. Because they ask him, because the guy says, let's meet, let's, let's meet within the temple. Let's shut the doors of the temple. And this looks like, it was almost like they were in his own house or if in a chamber of the temple that he thought that, that was not secret and safe enough, therefore proposed going into the temple, into the holy place where none priests might go. And so Nehemiah obviously goes, something's wrong. And so he responds in verse 11, he puts it through his filter and he goes, this isn't of the Lord. And he says, okay, but I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his own life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him and check this, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then he would give a bad name to me to discredit me. He, you know, Nehemiah saw the phony prophecy. For Nehemiah to go into this holy place to save his own life would have violated the law of God. Nehemiah would rather lose his life than to sin. And so my encouragement to you is when we're seeking advice and seeking wisdom, I highly encourage it. We should have people within our trusted community of people that speak into our lives on a normal basis. But my encouragement to you is even the people that we seek out in life, my, my greatest encouragement is that we would still put it through the filter of three things. Does this counsel violate your conscience? Does the counsel, the counsel contradict scripture? There are times where you'll get, you'll get good advice. But does that good advice line up with scripture? Does it push you to pursue Christ or does it push you to do more things that human hands produce human results? Or does it push you to the supernatural? Does it push you to pursue God and the third thing is, does the counsel, counsel hinder your commitment? Does it cause you 
to falter on your beliefs, on your commitment to the Lord. And so this is what Nehemiah is going through right now. He's finding out, man, there's somebody I was seeking help from and finding out he's being, he was hired by people that were after me. And so in verse 14, it says, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done, remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. After all these personal attacks, you think Nehemiah would have done what? Like, you fools. It would have braided them, would have come after them. If we ever are attacked, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. If I'm being hurt, my initial reaction is to hurt. But instead, Nehemiah boldly prays. He submits these people before the Lord. By, by far, some of the most incredible verses are in 15 and 16, and we're going to circle back to those in just a minute. So I want to I go to the fourth incoming missile. So we've got confusion, scandal, compromise. Okay, I can't trick him. I can't discredit him. I can't uh, get him to meet in the middle. So I'm just going to go down the middle and just divide. I'm just going to divide him. So Nehemiah 17 through 19 says this. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him. Since he was a son-in-law to Shekinah, son of Ara, and his son Jehonanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Now I know why Ken had the Bible read to him that one week. Uh, moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and telling him what I said. So if I am Nehemiah reading all these things, I'm like, man, this guy's like wonderful. What a great person he is. And then I'm sitting there going, but what's the reality? Look at the last part. And Tobias sent letters to intimidate me. Uh, if I'm Nehemiah, I'm in a personal low. It's not just been weeks, but months that, that Nehemiah has weathered and, and overcome all these incoming missiles. And so Tobiah was the enemy of God's work, but here, but here you, have the pro, you have prophets, a prophetess, and leaders in Judah who are singing the praises of this guy named Tobiah. They're like, come on, man, get over your issues. This guy needs to be involved. Like, let's make a deal. Come on. He needs to be involved. He's really doing us a favor. Like, what's your problem? This guy needs to be involved. We need him around here. But, to, but Nehemiah's like, yeah, but this guy's sending me letters trying to deter me from the what? The great work. Trying to get him to quit. But he just would not quit building the wall. Just, just picture with me, Nehemiah. You're emotionally, you're spiritually, physically just depleted. You have so very little patience. Your, your, your humanness is just tired. And here comes some of the most powerful words that we'll read in this passage. And here it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Yule in 52 days. Here's the kicker. Look in 16. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. What sweeter words can you imagine? Can you imagine Nehemiah saying, the walls are done, the gates are up. Put away your tools. Put away the scaffolding. Swing the massive gates shut. Bolt them tightly. And then raising up his hands to, to, the, to the living God and saying, because of our faithful God, we have finished the work. Can you imagine the sweet words 
the wall is done. The gates are closed. This, this work that God has allowed us to do is finished because of his faithfulness. Even amidst all the last-ditch efforts to stop the work, God faithfully protected his people and strengthened his workers. And guys, he will do the same for us today. For 90 years, the people of Judah had not been able to do that. By this time, but this time the people's hearts were in it and they had a leader that just would not quit. You know, I can only imagine the celebration as all of the enemies, all the nations around them realized that all their plotting, all their planning, intimidating, and rumor spreading failed. Completely failed. Can you imagine being those nations, those enemies, and hearing those big gates shut? That is the work of God. And it says that their what? Self-confidence was lost. And that they were afraid. Because they, even they, realized that this is a work of God. So was it Nehemiah's leadership? Because the people were skilled at build. Was it the people that were so skilled at building? Or maybe it was the conditions were so favorable because the king of Persia offered free lumber for the doors. Nehemiah 6.16 says, This work had been done with the help of our God. Those who did not know God knew that somebody supernatural was involved for the walls to have been built in 52 days. Guys, you can't, build, you can't get anything off the ground in 52 days here, modern times. We can work pretty hard. But to see this, this eight feet thick wall almost three miles long, 220 acres worth of a wall to be completed in 52 days is a work of God. And Nehemiah says, the work has been done with the help of our God. So what's our charge? Stay at the great work that we've been called to. What's this great work? Building our families, our marriages, our homes, our children, Building into the ministries we've been called to. I don't care if you ever set foot in a church and you ever work in a church or you serve in a church. You are called to a ministry. And you know what that ministry might be? It might be to one person that you work with that you see every single day. You know their name, they know your name. And you know what? One of the ways that people are, I believe, very receptive nowadays to Jesus is, can I pray for you? People who are in a low point, who are hurting. My neighbor who does not believe at all what I believe if I say, hey, Rick, I'm praying for you. Oh, hey, Luke, thank, thank you so much. And then if I follow up with him and say, hey, Rick, I know you guys have been going through a lot. I'm praying for you. That is a great work. That is a great work. And so I am just so blown away at all these missiles that Nehemiah is being attacked by. And you know what happens when you overcome these missiles? The enemy attacks us. The enemy throws all these missiles at us. You know what happens when we don't just weather it and take it, but we overcome it. God is lifted up. His cause is galvanized. It's no shock. It's no shock that the enemy will attack whatever God builds. We should be ready for it. And so Paul reminds us of something very powerful in Ephesians 6, 12. As we all do a great work and build into God's kingdom, we will be under attack. And let's just be reminded of for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guys, keep building the walls of character. Marriage, 
personal holiness, godly friendships and authentic lives before this dark, dark world that so desperately needs to see something greater, which is our God. And remember while you're at it, missiles are gonna be coming. And lastly, Ephesians 6, 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Our best protection against the attacks of the enemies is to reflect and remember and acknowledge the biblical truth of our redemption and our relationship with God. We have been saved and purposed and now given life and meaning through Jesus Christ. And we are signed, sealed, and delivered. We are his forever. And that truth is greater than any attack. Just to remind myself, I am his and he is mine. You know, this um, last couple months, there's just been a song that's just weighed heavy on my heart. And what I love about this song is that it speaks to the truth that we go through battles, that we go through hardships and heartaches. And the best way that we can battle all that is to acknowledge the one who overcomes all. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what I love about this song is there's a part of it that even says, doubt and fear can come along too as we go on to this new horizon, but they won't stay long because when I'm with you. Isn't that amazing? That's the God that we serve. The same God that was with Nehemiah is the same God that exists today, that loves us, that is pursuing us, that is giving us a great work to do. Let us do that great work. So I'm going to turn it over to Zach. Let's stand in some mystical. And I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are. We'll sing it together now. Every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, oh, I believe that you are my fortress. You are my portion. You are my hiding place, oh. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe through every blessing, through every Every breath I take, oh, I believe that you are provider, you are protector, you are the one I love, so I believe that you are the way, the truth, the life, I believe that you
new horizon and I'm set on you and you meet me here today with mercies that are new all my fears and doubts they can all come to because they can't stay long when I'm here with you it's a new horizon and I'm set on Father, as we end now, God, we proclaim the truth that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And only because of Jesus Christ can we have a relationship with you. And so, God, the, you were with Nehemiah. You, you were with him through all of the building, through all of the turmoil, the attacks of the enemy. And, God, you are the same God that's with us today. And, and so many of us, are, God, are looking to rebuild our lives. We're looking to, to build into things that are, are crumbling right now. And so, God, I, I just know um, that our goal in life as Christians is not to, to be brighter and to be seen as, as more awesome people because the world is full of, of a lot of people trying to do that. God, we want to be bright because we want people to see our brightness to be drawn to you, the true light. That is our goal. I pray that as we build into our marriages, our homes, our communities, the ministries that we find ourselves in at work, God, wherever the great work is that you've called us to, I pray that we would never back down, even with the incoming missiles, that we would remind ourselves that we are yours, that we are a part of your family, that we belong, and that we've been purposed in Jesus Christ. God, maybe we never waver but we turn down other things to know that the great work you've called us to in our marriages and building into our relationship with you, our character, our personal holiness, God, those are, those are things that we've been called to this great work. And I pray that the results would be so incredible, supernatural, life-changing, that people would just look past us and be like, wow, that's only because of, of God. That's our goal. I pray our marriages, our homes, our ministries, God, all the great work you've called us to would produce 
supernatural results that would draw people to you and we would just get out of the way. Just like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. God, that's our goal. As we follow you, we pray that people would just see you, that we would get out of the way. And so let us never waver from building into our great work that you've called us to. And God, I know there's people here who are looking to to rebuild their lives. They're they're believing the lies of the enemy. They're believing that they're worth nothing. They're believing that they don't belong, that there's no purpose for them. There's no hope. There's no future. And God, that's why you sent your son, Jesus. And so if there's anybody here who's looking to say yes to Jesus, to take that step, to believe, to to become a part of God's family, it's so simple. You're just saying something so simple as, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me that you came to find me and save me and give me purpose. I believe in that. And God, I bring you all of my baggage, admit my sin, admit what I've struggled with for years or what I'm struggling with now and know that you took all that on the cross for me. Jesus, now I give my life to follow you forever and to tell others about you. And, and then God, you will call me to a great work and I pray that once I'm called to that great work, whatever it is, that I will never waver, that I will say no to things, that I will stay strong and that I will have long obedience in one direction, God. Jesus, thank you for finding me, for loving me, for saving me and for giving me a purpose that's only found in you. I love you. I can't wait to tell other people about you. Thank you, Jesus. God, I just know that you have called people to yourself this morning. And God, that you're working in lives in this church. And it's such a privilege and so humbling. And so Lord, I pray that as we leave here, that we know we've been charged to build into our families, our, our, our marriages, our children, our ministries, wherever it may be. And we've been called to a great work, God. Thank you for that great work. And thank you for always being with us. Strengthen our hands when we're weak. Keep us focused on you. And ultimately, God, we thank you for Jesus Christ because of him. We move forward with hope. We move forward with life and a purpose. We love you. Thank you for loving us. And Jesus, we just love you in your name. Amen. Can we just thank God for his holy word? Can we thank God for what he's doing? See you guys. We love you. Have a great week.